Being a musician does have a calling that uh, separates you from other professions because in Amos 8.12, the Levitical priesthood, the musicians are lumped in there with the priests because they are part of the priesthood that were called to worship the Lord full time. You are listening to the Christian Music Archive podcast, part of the new release today podcast network. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. Each week, I share stories about Christ, community, and music, chatting with musical guests who you will find listed on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. There are thousands of creative men and women who have helped shape the soundtrack of the Christian faith, and we get to hear their stories, learn about how Christ has made a difference in their life, and hopefully along the way, we'll learn how we can be a better part of our community. Hello, friends. It's an honor to hang out with you again today. On today's episode, I'm chatting with another legend of Christian music. This guy has worked on so many records as a producer and arranger, and he has a ton of amazing stories to tell. So you're going to want to stick around for this exchange. For the past couple of episodes, I've been asking you to pray for the future of the podcast and the companion website, ChristianMusicArchive.com. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for joining me on this journey and wanted to let you know that the current plan is to move forward with transitioning the webpage to a new system. Bob, the web guy, and I are currently working out the plans, but over the course of the next year or so, we hope to move the website to a platform that will be a little less expensive to operate and a whole lot easier to maintain. We don't have the cash in hand for this project yet, but we're trusting that God is going to provide just like he always does. I'm inviting you to prayerfully consider how you might help out financially. There's a banner ad across the top of the webpage explaining how you can help. We'll have a couple of ways for you to donate, either through Patreon or directly to the website through a PayPal link. And I would be honored to have you join us on this project. So head over to christianmusicarchive.com to see how you can help us continue to preserve the great history of Christian music. Just click on the We Need Your Help banner at the top of the page over at christianmusicarchive.com. Thanks so much. We'll get to our conversation in just a minute, but I wanted to tell you about the Rohingya people of South Asia. For over 40 years, these people have faced discrimination, violence, and persecution. So much so that in 2017, a mass exodus of Rohingya citizens started with them fleeing their country for their lives and for their safety. And a lot of these people are ending up in Bangladesh and some of the surrounding countries. To make matters worse, in March 2021, there was a devastating fire in one of these large Rohingya refugee camps. Thousands of homes were destroyed, hundreds of children separated from their families, and hundreds more injured or dead. Now, this is all devastating and hard news to hear, but the reason I'm telling you this is because Mercy Inc. and their partners have been working in the Rohingya refugee camp to bring relief and hope. They are also sharing the good news of Jesus to anyone who's willing to listen. And I'd encourage you to jump on board and see how you can help. To learn more about how you can support Mercy Inc. and more specifically how to pray for the Rohingya refugees, visit christianmusicarchive.com mercy. There you can click on the Rohingya link to see how you can be the hands and feet of Jesus to these hurting and displaced people. That's christianmusicarchive.com slash mercy. Today's episode is a real treat for me on many levels. One of the early records in my collection as a high school student was an album called Night Watch by Fletch Wiley. As a young trumpet player, I saw this album as a path to my potential future. Maybe one day I could record an album like that. On another level, as I expanded my awareness of music, I began to see Fletch Wiley's name on other people's projects, on albums by Candle, Pam Mark Hall, and Marty McCall and Fireworks. Oh yeah, and you can't forget his work with Andre Crouch and the Disciples as a band leader and arranger. Fletch continues to arrange and produce for artists today and has been also involved in music missions around the world. So it's a really big pleasure for me to welcome to the podcast, Fletch Wiley. Well, thank you, Dave, for having me. This is a real, real treat for me. Oh, well, thank you. So uh, for me as a trumpet player, my first 
uh, awareness of who you were was when I went to my bookstore and I found Nightwatch. And I thought, ooh, there's a Christian instrumental musician with a trumpet. I can I can dig this. <laughs> now you're in the you're on the West Coast, right? Yes, right. I'm in Oregon. I grew up in Seattle and uh from the time I was ten I had a trumpet and I, I loved playing trumpet. I mean I when I was five I played piano because my brother did. He's four years older, but I hate him. <laughs> but I loved <laughs> trumpet and uh, I used to fall asleep to Harry James and a guy named Jonah Jones and uh and a little record player, you put the records on there. And, yeah. And uh, so I, I just, I, when, by the time I was 10, I knew I was going to be a musician. Hmm. That was one of those things. Oh, I want to be a baseball player. No, I wanted to be a musician. Yeah. I love sports. I played all the sports. But yeah, I just, I just knew. It's one of those things where, you know, before I was a believer, God still speaks to you. You know, he mm-hmm. doesn't ever stop his thing. Right. And so he he let me know, yeah, you're going to you're going to be I I didn't honor him in that, you know, mm-hmm. but still I uh, went through high school and uh, wanted to go to a really good music school and it was all the way down in Denton, Texas, University of North Texas. My my wife went to school in Denton. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Wow, so many things we have in common here. Yeah. Yeah, brothers from another mother. <laughs> well, then she probably knows it's a great music school and it still yep. is. It's yeah. uh, in 1965, that shows you how old I am, and I was an 18-year-old freshman, and talk about culture shock being in Texas from Seattle. Mm, yeah. But it was a great school, and I, of course, I got involved in all the extracurricular activities of drugs and Eastern religions because mm. it was uh, the 60s, and uh, I I was not a Christian. I didn't know anything about Jesus, and... Uh, so I just fell into the trap, and it was definitely a, uh, as you know, the 60s were a different time period yeah. in uh, yeah. the, the history of the world, really. You know, music yep. changed, culture changed. Uh, it was it was a little bit overrated, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the, my wife and I got married in 1970, and I was 22. She was 18. We had a little baby boy, and... Uh, when he was a year and a half old, uh, I was playing with a group of guys, Bill Maxwell, I'm yeah. sure you know Bill from Cornania, and yeah. Harlan Rogers, Hadley Hawkinsmith. Great musicians. And Were they all from the Denton area? No, they're from Oklahoma City. Okay. And, yeah, and they, they had a group there for years and years. Uh, Hadley was probably 14 or 15 when he joined up with these guys, hmm. and they were just killer musicians. So I became their trumpet player in 1971. And um, it was it was great musically, and we were like, we're, well, we're going to make it big time. And after Blood, Sweat, and Tears, <laughs> Chicago, and all that, yeah, we had a horn band, and uh, but you know, the Lord had other ideas, which I'm so thankful for. And we were playing a club in Tulsa in October of 1970, so it's almost my 50th anniversary, and. Uh, I heard these guys really got saved. You know, they were mm-hmm. like going to quit the band and, and quit music and everything. And I'm like, man, I don't want to do that. Uh-huh. I don't want to be a Christian because then I can't play jazz. I thought, you know, <laughs> in the back of my head. Right. So the the Lord's so good. You know, he he kind of put me in a headlock. And uh, w- one of the things with Tulsa, that's where a guy named Leon Russell was, a great musician, sure. songwriter. Yeah. His band was also Eric Clapton's band. So they used to grow their own marijuana. And so on the set breaks, when we played there, they, we'd go smoke dope with them. Well, they didn't show up that night. Hmm. And uh, so these guys, so you, we're going to go read the Bible on the set break. <laughs> read the Bible? What? You want to come read it with us? Okay. <laughs> so uh, I went out later that night. I, 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 There was this raging battle in my mind. The Holy Spirit was saying, you know, this is right. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to be a Christian. You know, you need this in your life. You know, you're a sinner. And yeah. God is offering you an opportunity to uh, to die to self and to, to you know, have this exchange, uh, his life for my life. What kind of an exchange is that? That's a bad deal for God, but a great deal for me. So <laughs> I didn't know what that meant yeah. exactly, but I know I, I needed it. 
So about three in the morning in this hotel room, I got on my knees and accepted the Lord and God delivered me from drugs instantly. No withdrawal. Wow. I mean, I was doing a lot of stuff. I shouldn't everything. Yeah. And, um, he delivered me from drugs, filled me with the Holy spirit, healed me. And I mean, my life changed on that day in October, 1970 and forever. And, uh, so I've been a believer for almost 50 years and, uh, you know, more in love with the Lord than ever. And, and more, I, I guess I see my need for him more mm. than ever. Yeah. And um, just got some early on, you know, in 1972 was we, we formed a little Christian group called Sunlight. And, right. And, uh, we met up with this guy, Andre Crouch, uh, after Explo 72, this big thing. Oh, in Dallas. sure. Yeah. And he said, well, I really want you to be my backup man. We're like, Hey, good. We're not doing anything. So, uh, <laughs> so about a month later, we became his backup band after Expo seventy two. And uh, so, were you and Andre both on the bill at Expo seventy two? Is that how you connected? Or well, we had met him earlier, but okay. it was then that he heard us play for real, and we were a good little band. We we could all play. You know, I've yeah. got a degree in trumpet, and you know, I'm a jazz player, and I went to North Texas. Uh, graduate fellowship to Yale, where I, I stayed about 10 minutes. But, uh, <laughs> well, and credit readers will understand Bill Maxwell, Alex Acuna, all of these guys. These are the go-to session players of the 70s and 80s. And you guys were in the middle of all of that kind of burgeoning Christian music starting. Yeah, it was, you know, I, I was never in Koinonia, but I'm right. great friends with those guys. And they've played on all my records. Uh, you always want to hire guys that are better than you. Okay. Mm. So that's why I hire them. But yeah, there, it was an amazing thing, but there was none of that was around until about uh, 1980, I think is when they really got kind of cranked up and Koinonia put out their first records and immediately went to Europe and were huge because people in Europe read album covers and they saw there was two guys, Abe Laboreal and Alex Acuna. Well, Alex played with, weather report and everybody. Mm-hmm. And so they immediately had huge crowds and made a, made their mark. And of course there were wonderful players and wonderful, wonderful believers and brothers in the Lord and still are. But you say that uh, as Koinonia is getting started in the eighties, but you really got the, I mean, you were one of the first signed to star song and you were doing instrumental music. Yeah, I did. Uh, <laughs> it's one of those things when I, I was with Andre for about four, three and a half years. And during that time, I got to arrange most of Take Me Back. Mm-hmm. And I arranged just Andre. And uh, it's funny, Danny Bell Hall, I don't know if you remember that name. One sure, of the absolutely. Andre, I arranged horns on her first record. So that's kind of where I cut my teeth on arranging. And it's one of those things where I didn't know what I was doing, but it, that's okay. No one else did either, <laughs> you know. But it's I've always kind of been, well, I'll figure it out as I go. And I had a good, I had a good uh, education, music education. Yeah. So it was, it was great uh, to be with Andre. He was such an amazing guy, such an amazing songwriter. Well, let's delve into that a little bit more because Andre is really credited with starting kind of a whole new, bringing the black gospel into contemporary Oh yeah, and I, he's really—I mean, Larry Norman's called the grandfather of rock and roll. I think of Andre Crouch as the grandfather of contemporary Christian, because he really shifted that to make it accessible for churches. And you were in the middle of that. I was. It was one of those things that it was not not my doing. I was just you know hanging onto his coattails, and he was impressed that I had a college degree. So I bet you can arrange. Yes, I bet I can. <laughs> So Take Me Back was the first record I ever arranged, you know, mm. but it, it helps when you have great musicians. So, sure. uh, yeah, that was, that was very true. And we didn't know that at the time, but, uh, you know, that was when records in the seventies, early seventies were going from what they call simul, which was the whole orchestra or band was in the room with the singers and everything mm-hmm. like a Frank Sinatra record, you yeah. know, they went from that to where the Beatles started this whole thing of, uh, Okay, you're going to record your basic tracks, piano, bass, guitar, drums, percussion, maybe two keyboards, two guitars. And then you might start adding your vocals and then your horns and then your strings and then everything else. So 
Take Me Back was the first album that Andre did like that. And, mm. uh, you know, won a Grammy. It was, it was, it's still a great record because yeah, the songs, he, you know, when, when we had his funeral six years ago, six and a half years ago, it just showed, you know, they, they had a, a terrible time figuring out, okay, we have a concert one night, four hours, and the next day is a four and a half hour service funeral. But we have a terrible time paring down. So I think they ended up with 33 songs and <laughs> still people were saying, what about this song? What about this song? Well, we just don't have time, you know? Yeah. And, uh, it, yeah, he was, he was a wonderful guy, very generous with his praise and his compliments and always pulling us into meetings and saying, Oh, you need to listen to this band sunlight. They're, they're incredible. You know, we're like, okay. So, uh, <laughs> but you know, we had a cup, we had, uh, our, first child in in 71 before mm -hmm. i was a christian and then our daughter was born in 74 and it just got to be where we moved back uh, to dallas and i would travel out and meet the bus mm -hmm. i would fly to wherever they were and then they'd pick me up and then i'd fly back to dallas it was just a better living arrangement than la mm -hmm. yeah. but in 76 i just said guys i need to quit you know i need to get be with my kids and my wife and because there were times we'd be gone for five weeks and it was just sure. too much. So, yeah. um, so I started to produce records and one of the first records I did was the music machine, which was a kid's record that the agape force did. I arranged and produced that and it sold over a million copies. I think a million and a half copies. And yeah. That's what I have on my notes, a million and a half of this thing. And I think every kid in that time had that record. Oh, it was great. It was, yeah. it was a great, it was a great ministry. And, and I did uh, Music Machine 1, 2, and 3, and Bullfrogs 2 and 3, and uh, Lullabies and Nursery Rhymes, and a bunch of records for them. And they were just great people. They're still some of my good friends today. Mm -hmm. And then I, you know, I got into producing and arranging and still playing. And in 1977, I did my first record, Ballad. Right. Because uh, I thought, you know, I think I'm supposed to do a record. So I did some demos up in Oklahoma city with uh, Harlan and Hadley and uh, a drummer. And then I finished it in LA and mama Joe's where we had recorded, uh, take me back and a bunch of other records. So yeah, that got me launched out as an artist and a writer. And I did five records for star song. I did a bunch of publishing projects for word, and then I started my own label and did a record called Urban Reel and yep. another live record I did called or Ornament of the Universe. Well, you know, it's interesting that you talk about this, Fletch, because I've talked to a lot of people who reference Oklahoma City as a hotbed of music. And, you know, now we think of Nashville or L.A. or maybe New York, but uh, there was a lot of Christian stuff or maybe even other stuff going on in Oklahoma City. Well, back at that time, that was just a God thing because uh, <laughs> there was a guy named Kenneth Copeland, love mm -hmm. him or hate him. He went to an, an older fellow named Virgil Hill. Okay. And this is a, just a God story. He says, Virgil, God told me you have two boys that are not serving the Lord. If you'll open a little storefront church, it doesn't have to be anything, just a little space downtown that God is going to save your boys and they're going to be preaching there. Well, he did, and then God did, okay? And one was an alcoholic drummer, and the other was a drug dealer. And they were powerful preachers. So when we got saved, we came into this environment of the Holy Spirit. We were at church six nights a week, mm -hmm. and we were we were the house band. <laughs> so That was a house band before house bands were. That's before right. Before churches had bands. Yeah. So we played, and but there were lots of other guys. A guy named Keith Edwards, a great drummer. Bruce Hibbert, mm -hmm. great singer. Uh, Jonathan David Brown, a great engineer, producer. And they were just kids then. And, uh, mm. you know, we had this influence on them because uh, the the 3rd Avenue Blues Band, which was Harlan Hadley and Bill and later me, okay. was a great band, well-known in Oklahoma City. And they had records on the charts and all that. So when we got saved, we, we quit playing clubs and just started playing churches and uh so it was a, it was a God thing. And I, I didn't even know the import of that, but you know, after I left Andre, it was, uh, sh shortly after that, about three years that, that 
actually it, during that time from 76 to 79, the Lord said, you know, you need to study my word because there's a lot about music in the Bible. Mm-hmm. There was no worship seminars back then or anything. And I was right. shocked to find all this stuff, almost all in the Old Testament, of course. And, uh, and come to discover that, you know, David's, we, we often reference first Samuel 16, you know, that, uh, Man looks on the outside, but God looks mm-hmm. on the heart. Well, that's a great scripture talking about David and all his brothers that were, that, no, his, Jesse thought, well, these guys, he didn't even think of David. Right. He was just a runt out in the field. That was the the beginning of, of David's reign as king was an instrumental music ministry after he was anointed by Samuel. Yeah. First uh, Samuel 16, 18, these servants of Saul I don't know how they knew it. They they didn't say how they knew, but they <laughs> Saul was vexed by an evil spirit. Well, he was possessed of an evil spirit. Yeah. And it says, we know this uh, son of Jesse the Bethlehemite. He is a great musician. That's the first thing they said. Mm-hmm. He's courageous and a, and a warrior. So he yeah. was a he was acquainted with conflict, and he was a courageous. They knew all these specific things about him. Uh, they said he's uh, he's wise and a handsome man. And the Lord is with him. That's First Samuel 16, 18. So mm-hmm. I began to study the word about what the Bible said about music. And, of course, the end of that chapter is that when the evil spirit came upon Saul, David would take his harp and play mm-hmm. it, and the evil spirit would have to leave because of the anointing on David. So uh, that was the first ministry he had, was a music ministry, instrumental music ministry. Was Right. So... That's pretty cool. Well, one of the interesting things, I I remember reading an article, I can't remember where it was, people saying, well, you call yourself a Christian musician, but how are you any different than Chuck Mangione? He's just playing instrumental music. Yeah. And you had a really good response to that, which I think is kind of born out of what you're talking about with David, but flesh that out a little bit more for us. You know, we have Christian plumbers, Christian electricians, and you have Christian jazz musicians, and I know music is a little bit different because there is, for some reason, God has uh, put, uh, he's given us the ability to worship him through song. Mm-hmm. So there is a, it's not the same as being an electrician or a plumber. Those are very noble pursuits and careers. But being a musician, if you're a Christian, does have a calling that uh, separates you from from other professions because in Amos I think it's Amos twelve it talks about or maybe it's Amos eight twelve talks about uh, the Levitical priesthood the musicians are lumped in there with the priests because they are mm-hmm. part of the priesthood in First uh, Chronicles twenty three twenty five there were actually about twelve percent of the Levit- Levitical priesthood were uh, the musicians I think two hundred sixty six mm-hmm. of them that were called to worship the Lord full-time. They were full-time yeah. in the temple. That doesn't mean they were there all the time, but they cast lots to see what their term of service yeah. was. That was their day job. Yeah, that was their yeah. day job, and I'm sure they practiced, you know, because they they had to be skillful. Yeah. They, David, you know, um, he was out there with the sheep, so he had lots of time to practice his heart, you know. <laughs> so the, the main difference, I mean, there's no difference musically – you know, if you play trumpet, you know how painful an instrument that is. <laughs> you have to practice it a lot, you know, yeah, still yeah. to maintain a certain skill level. So you can yeah. play it and really uh, have a high level of skill. And I still do this. So there's there's no difference musically. The, the whole difference is in, in the spiritual realm. Mm-hmm. And hopefully there is a an anointing that the Lord can put his, his thumbprint on and when I play, then he move, He can move easily through that. Not to say he can't move through secular musicians. He can right. and he has. But uh, his, as we submit ourselves to the calling of God, then, then I, you know, in this book that I wrote, I've talked about being called, being appointed, and being anointed. Yeah. You know, and that calling sort of shapes you. You know, God called me to be a musician before I knew him. You yeah. know, and yet then when I'm, I'm, submitted myself to him, that calling becomes evident. And then there is an appointing, once I walk in the in the steps that he has for me, you learn what it means. I was a really skillful musician when I got saved, but I had no idea what it meant to be a Christian 
and uh, to play unto the Lord. So there's a lot of some things I had to unlearn, some things I had to recognize about, you know, being part. I mean, I knew about being a musician, about not overplaying and, and uh, fitting in with the band and all that, you know, but but not showing up, being humble. And uh, so um, still learning that, you know, and then the Lord's anointing can fall on you easily because you're submitted to him. You're not you're not trying to um, make a name for yourself. And I would venture to say that that is a good pattern for any of us who are called to do whatever, not just music. But if you're called to be that electrician or that plumber, uh, the difference is how you respond in your heart and how that outflows to the people around you. Right. Well, you spent quite a bit of time as a producer, arranger, performer, but you've also spent a big chunk of your time as a worship leader. Yeah. Because you, as I have it, you have like three or four different churches that you've been a part of. In fact, you've worked with Marty McCall, if I recall correctly. I did, yeah. Uh, Marty and I uh, became friends uh, when I produced the Pemark Hall record. I don't know if you know that record. Yep, absolutely. Lord of the Starfields. I mean, that was one of the songs. I don't remember the the title of the record. That was also 1980, the first time I met Marty. Mm -hmm. Because he came down... uh, You know, Marty is, is his own guy. He didn't fly to... Houston from Nashville. Hmm. He wanted to drive down. He had no radio in his car. So I'm like, I got to figure this guy out. Yeah. As a musician, no radio. Spend time alone with the Lord. Well, what does that mean? Really? But uh, yeah, he's a very, very good dear friend. He and Vicki, his wife, are mm-hmm. some of our closest friends. And I worked at a church, McLean Bible with him. But before that, I was at a vineyard in Houston for seven years and uh, took a year off from church work in 2000, 2001, I started to work at McLean Bible. They needed an orchestra director. They had a big band orchestra. It's mm-hmm. a large, still a large church. And then in 2005, I went down the road to uh, Capitol Church and where uh, Sue and Amos Dodge, I don't know if you know Sue Dodge. She's a, Sue Dodge, yep. Yeah, Southern Gospel singer, great singer, yeah. but great church. And then we've been in uh, been in Austin for the past eleven years. So, how was music worship leading an outpouring of what you've been doing professionally uh, as a musician and a producer? Well, you know, I've always valued creative arts. So, and I'm an instrumentalist. I don't lead worship as far as singing. What I do is more behind the scenes stuff: writing, arranging. Uh, working with other uh, arts ministries at uh, the vineyard. We had a wonderful dance troupe. They're all professionals. Mm-hmm. We There's a uh, theater group called AD Players in Houston, which is okay. a professional, very, very highly professional. Uh, Jeanette George, who played Corey Tinboom in the Billy Graham movie, okay. incredible actress. She had that. We had a bunch of actors in our church who were pros. And uh, we had some very good musicians in our church. So it was a un- Star Song Records was kind of born in that church. Mm. So uh, in the um, uh, 1976, 77 and there. So uh, yeah. yeah, it was it was a, a natural thing for me to kind of be the worship arts, uh, creative arts pastor there. Yeah. And then uh, the instrumental uh, director at... Uh, at McLean Bible Church, where I inherited an orchestra and a big band. And uh, we were close to D.C., so we had a lot of service guys there who played in the top line, Marine Band, Navy Band. So you had some chops to work with. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we had great players. So, uh, the, but, but most of my horn players were either FBI, CIA, or NSA. So it's like... <laughs> I don't know if they were. I don't know if they were packing heat, but I hope they were. You know, so. <laughs> well, hopefully they packed their heat in their in their uh, playing. <laughs> so it was it was an interesting experience being in D.C. Yeah. Well, one of the things that intrigued me when you uh, when we connected to have this conversation is you talked about your music missions. Yeah. Now I was born on the mission field. My mom and dad were missionaries. And so for me, I understand missions. In fact, our podcast supports a mission organization called Mercy Inc. But the whole concept of a music mission is intriguing to me. Talk to me a little bit about what that means. Well, I mean, I've been, I've been traveling around for 40 years, you know, sound like the children of Israel, you know, but <laughs> one day I'm going to cross the Red Sea. 
uh, getting to the promised land. But, um, I mean, I've done these music seminars back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And then I started to work at churches, so I couldn't really do that. Um, and work with, I don't know if you know David and Dale Garrett, Scripture and Song in New Zealand. But they've been one of the first purveyors of worship in the arts and have done a ton of uh, worship uh, CDs. They live in Auckland, New Zealand. Okay. But uh, there's a group called Artists in Christian Testimony in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Byron Spradlin, do you know those guys? Rob Frazier? And- I know Rob. I, I, know, I know about the organization. So, yeah. Well, well, they've been going for a long time, but what they do is they recognize that artists, missionaries are different than someone who goes and lives on the mission field. Mm-hmm. Um, we're called to go in and maybe spend quite a bit of time or just a two-week period or a one-week period and work with the local musicians or do street ministry. So we've hooked up with uh, ACT, Artists in Christian Testimony. And uh, if if there are any, is anyone hearing this and they're saying, well, gee, that's something I might want to be interested in. They have, they have a website, ACT, Artists in Christian Testimony. Check them out and uh, they'd, they'd be happy to talk to you. They've got artists from all over the world that are, and it's kind of an um, umbrella 501c3. So that our supporters, my wife and I, we, they can give to the ministry and, and we can get support to do the things that God's called us to. So in 2019, before COVID, uh, there's going to be the BC, you know, there was, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I hope there's an a, AC at after COVID too. But uh, our, our first uh, mission trip was a nine week mission trip. Uh, I mean, I started in, in, the, in the 1990s. Uh, I was when I was with the Vineyard. I went four years in a row to Turkey, okay. and I took a music team there, and we traveled all over Turkey, preaching and playing and sharing the Lord uh, for about two weeks, four years in a row. And uh, so we we spent the first six weeks of this nine weeks going to Turkey, Egypt, and Albania, doing two weeks each street ministry. Turkey is an interesting country. It's a, it's a beautiful country. We went to, uh, if I can dig into this a little bit, uh, we yeah, went to please. a city in eastern Turkey immediately for a week called Malacha. Malacha is where they grow apricots. If you buy dried apricots, it's probably, probably from mm-hmm. Malacha. Okay. But uh, uh, I think it was 2005 or six. there were Christian workers there that were uh, tortured and murdered by three Islamic extremists, and they just stayed there because they wanted to be captured and they wanted to be, you know, they were very proud of doing this. Mm-hmm. So it's a very, a bit of an uptight time. It's a million people. I've never heard of Malacha before, but mm-hmm. we stayed there a week. And, and in Turkey, you don't ask permission. <laughs> you just mm-hmm. you just set up and hope for the best, hope that they let you play. And most of the time they did. And we did about five or six nights. And uh, twice they... The secret police came and took our passports, and that was a little interesting, uh, but yeah. they gave them back. So uh, <laughs> we went on from there to uh, some other towns, went to Ankara. We didn't play in Istanbul this time. We uh, mm-hmm. played in eastern Turkey mostly. And from there, we went to Cairo. We landed in Cairo on Yom, the, the uh, anniversary of the Yom Kippur, the Six-Day War. It was Yom Kippur. Mm-hmm. Well, that was exciting. Uh, the Egyptians don't much <laughs> like that date, okay? And it was also, right. uh, it just so happened that it coincided with Turkey attacked Syria. I think yeah. it was October 22nd or something like that, 2019. So we had a we had an army escort everywhere we went in wow. Egypt, and they only let us play churches or uh, uh, schools. They didn't let us do outdoor, well, they were all outdoor things, but they didn't let us do just set up and play. Yeah, it was very, very tight. We finally got to play an outdoor uh, event in a church with Somali refugees. They were a church from Somalia who had come there, and they were um, refugees from just the wars that have gone on in Somalia. Mm-hmm. Wonderful people that just wrote a hymnal. It was pretty amazing, and they gave mm-hmm. me a copy, which, of course, I cannot read because it's in Arabic. But, right, right. Uh, and then we went on to Toronto, Albania, and we stayed there for two weeks doing street ministry again. Uh, Albania is, uh, you know, uh, Egypt is an interesting country because it's both 
been antagonistic to the gospel. And of course, uh, Jesus was rescued there. They're mm -hmm. a rescuing country, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, Joseph was rescued there. So an amazing uh, biblical references to Egypt, you know, yeah. and who they are. Is okay if I kind of talk about Yeah, that? no, no, please. Because what I'm interested in is there are people who may have musical skills and don't feel like they're a preacher. And I could see them going, well, this is an incredible trip. How could I be used in something like this? Because you're talking about street ministry. To me, that sounds like somebody sitting up on the corner playing instruments and drawing a crowd. Absolutely. That that that's basically it. And you're able to share through translators. Uh, in in Turkey, so there were some times they said, "Don't say Jesus. Don't say the name Jesus," because we know the secret police are here. Mm. So we talk about God, and then we say we'd love to talk to you as long as you're over 18. We can talk to anybody, but we talk to some kids too. <laughs> but uh so it's it, you know you don't want you're you're also very sensitive to the local missionaries you sure. don't want to get them kicked out which they're getting kicked out in droves now so yeah. we, we while we were in malachia uh there was a pastor who had been there for years from uh, australia he he got summoned to the cops and he was kicked out so mm -hmm. um you know, but Albania is a little different. It's uh, right on the Adriatic Sea, right across from Italy. So it's much more of a European nation. And, but they say they're Muslim, but they're not really. They're not really Muslims. <laughs> in fact, being, being a Muslim today in those countries, they don't really read the Quran. A lot of them, they're, they're, there are, of course, some devout Muslims. But sure. they're, very, they're very serious, though, about God. And they, they're wrestling, a lot of them. Who is God? Because yeah. we don't see him in the Quran. We do not see that work for us, you know. So we went from there, from Tehran, Albania, to Lagos, Nigeria. Uh, all all flights go through Frankfurt. You go to Frankfurt, and we played at a church there for a week. Incredible musicians in uh, Nigeria, man. I I sent music over, you know, the MP3s and charts, mm -hmm. and I had two bands because I had a Saturday night concert. And uh, the band that played with me on that was sort of the AT, and they had to go to their big 4,000-member church on Sunday. Sure. And then the band that was at the church I was at, they, they practiced with me. So I had two bands. They both memorized my music. Wow. And my music's not really all that easy, but they were incredible players. And uh, we were hoping to go back next year, early next year. And then we, in the last two weeks we spent in Pretoria, South Africa, working, working with a close friend there who has a music school and um, uh, called Schwane School of Music in the townships there okay. in Victoria, one of the townships. The townships are ghettos, basically, okay. and very, very poor. And they, uh, man, these kids love music, though, and they're incredible musicians again. I forget the name of the ministry, but it was a group that helped people build instruments so that they could make music for the Lord. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to me how music is a international language yeah. and touches people where we can't maybe even speak it ourselves. Yeah. But like you said, the spirit of God indwelling in the music goes, goes places. And then the other thing that's fascinating to me, and I haven't done as much traveling as you have, but is to hear people praise the Lord in their own music. Yeah. And that is just rich. In fact, in a lot of situations, it puts our music to shame. Well, that's, I think, one of the issues that I, if I go somewhere where they have folk music that's amazing. If you go to India, if, mm -hmm. or if you go to South Africa, or any, in, I mean, uh, Nigeria, or, or especially Muslim countries, they have their, they love music. You know, they've got like four music video channels in, hmm. in Turkey, you know. So they love music, and it's huge. Uh, but a lot of times in the church, they want to play Hillsong or uh, Bethel or something because they they think, well, that sounds really slick. Mm -hmm. I'm really saying, no, you need to dig into your roots and write your own music and your own indigenous music and in the style, because there's something in that from the Lord, from the earth, from uh, that God has birthed and used through your language, mm -hmm. your country, you know, so... Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I encourage that because that's that's powerful. That's a good point, Dave. So my missionary experience is in the Altiplano, the high plains of Peru and Bolivia. And there are very few instruments there, maybe guitars. 
but to hear these people sing in Amira, which is the language where we were at, just at the top of their lungs, their love for the Lord, you know, the, 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 the statement, it's a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. I can just imagine the cacophony of sounds that the Lord's listening to and the big grin on his face as he hears everybody singing and playing. And Absolutely. Well, you know, he loves it all, but I think there's something that taps into their heart, you know, uh, when they sing in their own language and out of their own heart and out of their own uh, culture, mm-hmm. something that transcends what we can bring them. You know, there's nothing wrong with what we bring them. It's just right. uh, we want to encourage them to to tap into that thing that is from the Holy Spirit in their own language, in their own culture, and uh, to to let that be preeminent. Yeah. Well, and, I, and I'm hoping that as our music industry gets much more online and visible, that we as Americans can start hearing some of the sweet stuff that's coming from overseas. It's like what Michael W. Smith got Waymaker song, which actually is a song out of South Africa. Yeah. That was that was started there. So I'm hoping that we as a, a global community of musicians and music lovers can somehow pull that together and, and start worshiping maybe with the stuff that we don't know about in other countries. Oh, yeah. Well, one of the things I always like to hear is looking back over the past 50 years of your Christian life, what would you say was a moment where you kind of pinch yourself and, oh my goodness, I can't believe that the Lord allowed me to be in that position or to do that or see that? Well, there, I mean, there are quite a few of them. Just this tour in 2019 was was one where we got to minister to people. And, you know, my my wife, the, the main thing is my wife is going with me now. When, when mm-hmm. we're younger, she has to be with the kids. We have three sure. kids, eight grandkids. And now uh, she's able to to travel with me and and course in turkey they would spot her and this cute little gray-haired lady says you you're not from these parts right <laughs> and the what these young girls would go up to her and say you know do you hate us because we're muslims you know and because yeah. you're a christian and of course no we love you you know god yeah. loves you and so there were some incredible relationships established there all throughout that tour and it was just it was just wonderful uh, i mean one of the things with Andre, we were the first gospel group to play at the Sydney Opera House mm-hmm. in 1973. That was amazing. Um, I don't know, and just being on tour and with him in uh, the South Pacific and Tonga and Fiji and Samoa and, uh, and New Zealand and different places like that. And just those were incredible, you know, because Andre had such a gift of bringing people in. And when you sat in a two-hour concert, you heard the gospel, yes. beginning, you know, you, you heard the gospel message and then people got prayed for. So there was fruit from those concerts. Um, I'm trying to think just playing with the Koinonia guys and having them on my record is such a, such a blessing being in uh, Norway and Sweden in 2017, Bill Maxwell and I, and such great musicians there. I think it's the fellowship with other Christian musicians Mm-hmm. and uh, great players and great people who love God and who work very hard at what they do. Those are the things that I really cherish. Every Saturday, we send out a prayer newsletter uh, asking folks to pray for the people who are still making music or who have made music. Please pray that the borders open up the Lord, the Lord has things for us to do here, of course. You know, we're, we go to a church called Life Austin. Uh, Randy Phillips, Phillips, Craig and Dean, yeah. Yeah. I was the pastor of that church, and I play in the band there and do all their arranging if they need that. And it's a great church. You know, it's, it's a little disappointing that we're not able to travel internationally yet, but uh, we know a time will come when that opens up. But in the meantime, pray for us that uh, ministry opportunities if, if you have a church you'd like me to come here in the States, uh, let me go. I've been to Northern California. I've been to New Orleans. I've been to uh, Tulsa. I've been to uh, Shreveport. So we're trying to do stuff locally here. Mm-hmm. And we'll continue to do that throughout 2021. And then just reassess, see what happens 2022. One of my goals in starting this podcast was to highlight the importance of community. And as I talk with more folks like Fletch Wiley today, I realize how much the beginnings of Christian music was centered around community. 
All of these young people were seeking ways to share their faith with the talents that they had, and they started working together and helping each other out on their music. They would jump on each other's albums as session players. They would tour together, all with the understanding that this was a way to share their faith in Jesus. As the Christian music industry developed, things have changed a bit. There's much more of a business behind the albums. There are distribution deals and marketing campaigns and so on. But ultimately, I think most artists still have a desire to use their music to encourage, explore their faith, express their emotions, and worship God. I'm grateful for guys like Fletch Wiley who have worked hard to encourage musicians around the world to use their musical skills to share their faith. Whether through an album or street corner ministries, music plays a really important role in furthering God's kingdom. I appreciate how Fletch pointed out the importance of music, even in ancient biblical times. What was it that Fletch said something like 12% of the Levitical priests had the job of being full-time musicians? You probably remember the stories of the Israelites going into battle, and who was on the front lines? Musicians, of course. In the book of Joshua, chapter 6, it was the musicians, or more specifically the trumpet players, who actually did the damage. Okay, it was actually the power of God, but the musicians were at the forefront of the parade marching around the walled city of Jericho, and the walls came down when the priests blew their horns. Fletch also alluded to the story in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, where the king's advisors sought out the services of a young David to play music to soothe King Saul and all the angst and troubles he was going through. Music is important, and whether you are a musician or a consumer, I would like to encourage you to focus on the beauty of the music you listen to. How does it help you draw closer to God? How does it express your pain and your despair? What about the music you listen to makes you a better person? I hope you can find a way to let music draw you closer to the Lord this week. And to get things started, we're going to end this podcast episode with the latest music from Fletch Wiley. This is a song called Angelic Praise. Enjoy the music and we'll chat again next week.
As always, thanks for joining me for this conversation today. I am grateful that we get to spend this time together each week hearing stories of God's amazing faithfulness. As a regular listener to this podcast, would you mind taking a few minutes and rating it on your favorite podcast app? Reviews and ratings really help spread the word so that other folks can hear about these great conversations. And if you have comments or questions for me, please feel free to drop me a message on any of the social media platforms. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon by searching for at CCMExchange. Or you can always drop me an email on the website christianmusicarchive.com. I'm really looking forward to our time together next week when I have another great conversation with one of the musicians you'll find on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. So until then, remember this, God loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you.